So Money Episode 534, Erica Keswin, founder of The Spaghetti Project. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. February 13th, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Hope you're not going to put down the big money for those roses. Be smart, people. Save your money for my birthday. It's February 15th. Just kidding. But you know I love your reviews. So go to iTunes, leave your thoughts on the show, and that would be a wonderful gift for me. And um, really, in all sincerity, hope you guys have a great week with your loved ones. And I really appreciate you joining us again on the show. Today's guest is Erica Keswin. She's the founder of The Spaghetti Project. So let me ask you, how involved are you within your company? Do you like the culture there? Do you feel like it's generic? Is it authentic? Do you connect with your coworkers? Or do you feel like you're just going in every day, going through the motions, sitting at your desk, going to work, going back home? Erica Keswin is all about understanding the dynamics and the relationships of people and technology in the workplace. She is a go-to career expert. And this past fall, she founded the Spaghetti Project in her living room with a group of 50 people. How? What is this? How did she get the idea? So she got the idea to start this project after reading a 2015 Cornell study that found that sharing meals together improved firemen's performances. So when firemen eat spaghetti together, as they normally do or stereotypically do, uh, they work better together. And she was intrigued by this idea and wondered how might this correlate to the corporate world to get people more connected, um, not just with their colleagues, but also with their friends in the workplace. So she started her research company to figure out how smart companies are making this connection. And now she's consulting all over the country. But truthfully, I think what makes this interview really special is that, you know, Erica really goes there with her financial history. She talks about how as a child, money was tight. And in particular, her mother had a hard time with it. And she remembers vividly as a young girl getting stopped at a store with her mom for shoplifting. It was a turning point, obviously, for her. So let's listen now to hear how it's impacted Erica's financial life today. Erica Cuswin, welcome to So Money. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I connected with you through Bobby Rebel, who was a guest on our show. And uh, she said, you got to meet Erica. You have to connect with her. She's a great voice for, you know, workers out there and especially motivated workers, ambitious workers who want to do better at work, but also employers who want to serve their, their, their employees better. And you have a company. One, one of your projects is called the Spaghetti Project. Tell us about that. It's relatively new and it kind of was uh, born out of a study from Cornell that showed that people who eat together stay together (laughs) at work. Exactly. So uh, a little bit of of how I got to that. So I've spent about 20 years in the kind of consulting, organizational development, executive coaching, really helping companies in a variety of ways to improve their performance through people. And that really is sort of the thread that goes into a lot of the different um, areas that I work in. And 
the, over the last six years, my focus has been looking at the impact of technology on relationships in the workplace to workplace culture, to the ability to recruit people, you know, all of the different people processes. And during all of that research, I came across this study, as you said, out of Cornell. And um, the, the professor at Cornell, his father was a firefighter, and he focused in the area of organizational development. And so when he when it came to doing studies on collaboration and, and positive work practices, he thought, well, you know, I have access and my, my sample of people that I know are firefighters. So that's how he decided to study that group of people. And what he found was that firefighters who eat together um, perform better and sort of AKA save more lives and, and who wouldn't want that. And so what I saw was that, you know, even in the workplace, companies are trying to come up with new ways to bring people together. And what is what often gets way of that is technology. And, and one of the lines that I often use is sort of left to our own devices we're, we're not connecting. You know, as all of us know, we could be on our email doing our work and we could look up and it's three o'clock and we haven't spoken to another human being all day. So I founded the Spaghetti Project um, to, that it's a project that's geared to bringing people together to connect. And I have these events, I've brought together groups of colleagues. I had one last month for groups of freelancers. And freelancers are interesting because they are either working from home or working out of their local Starbucks and really are, are craving connection. And um, I'm doing one next month. I mean, all of a sudden I'm getting calls to do them all over the country. So what I'm seeing, and, and I, I do believe that the firefighters were really onto something, that good things do happen when people connect. And from these projects, people are making connections, uh, not only exchanging business cards, but actually working together on projects. Someone actually got hired by somebody else at the last one. So my hope is that I can translate this idea of bringing people together into the workplace so it happens more often in our daily lives. But I got to say, I love working from home, Erica. That's one of the perks that some people seek out when they are looking for a new place to work, a new employer. That's why many of us become entrepreneurs. We want to be able to work on our own terms. And that means not having to get in our cars and commute and get to work. And although it's great to have a shared meal and have that team camaraderie, sometimes you it's a trade-off, right? And so I agree with you. I think we're working in isolationism more and more. And that's hurting, at the end of the day, some aspects of a business's growth. But how do you reconcile when that with so many people wanting and demanding more flex work and flex leave? No, I, it's, a, it's a great question. And I think for companies today to attract and retain millennials and, and the next generation, flexibility needs to be built into the business strategy. So I fully agree with that. So I'm not saying everybody needs to come in and have meals together every day. But when you think about your company values, we need to both leverage technology to strengthen relationships and also put technology, quote unquote, in its place. So that could be in a basket in the conference room um, or, you know, no phones when you're when you're having a meal. So my area of focus is both. There are amazing technologies that help us leverage and build and strengthen relationships 
but we need to think about it from both perspectives. So if somebody works from home, you know, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's once a quarter, but there need to be those, you know, we're human beings. We are wired to connect. So if a company at the end of the day wants to retain people, they don't need to come in every day, but they do need to create opportunities for people to connect because what ends up happening is, you know, back you know, 15 years ago, I, I did a lot of work in compensation consulting and I would design compensation programs. And what I saw was that people wouldn't leave a company unless they got a bump of maybe 20%. Why? Because this was the devil that they knew. They presumably had friends and colleagues at work that they really liked. And now people will leave for a much smaller increase in, in compensation, maybe even no increase in compensation. They don't have those relationships. So companies need to be creative and, and, and identify ways to, to bring people together. And the last point I would make on that is let's, let's say you have a bunch of remote people and your manager wants to have a weekly remote call. Part of the work I do with companies is, is speak to them and train their managers on how to have good, better, and best remote calls because you can still hurt relationships. If everybody's on a Google Hangout or on a Skype call and you can all see each other and you have the one person that's constantly multitasking and checking his or her phone, at the end of the day, that that can hurt relationships. So it's being present, whether you are remote or face-to-face. There are some companies that are in an effort to create a quote unquote culture for their employees, they almost do it inauthentically. You know, they do what they think they need to do. They'll have, they'll, they'll provide the lunches. They'll, um, have, you know, everybody wear purple today, day. And I feel like in some ways that can be very forced. And so how do you, how do you coach your executive clients to say, okay, here's how you get to the root of your culture and then have it kind of show itself organically and have your employees respect it more and feel more like that it's coming from a real place as opposed to we're just playing by a playbook. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, wh- the way I describe this to, to clients is that this generation, you know, we, we, the companies have had value statements and mission statements since the beginning of time. But this generation, if you want to attract top talent, these values need to come off the walls and, you know, what I say, into the halls. You need to be able to feel it when you're when you're walking around. So how do companies do that? The first is, you know, the senior executives, and this can go into when they're bringing new people in, you, you, you have to walk the walk. You can't tell everybody else to do certain things and then have you not do it yourself. And I would say an example of this are these companies that are given, uh, giving unlimited vacation and if executives and and senior managers are not taking vacation, nobody else is. So you have to literally walk the walk, talk the talk, and it's got to start there or it's never going to trickle down. Um, you know, one example I can give, I've, I've met with, um, executives and people at different levels of the organization at JetBlue and JetBlue has, I mean, if you've ever flown JetBlue has an amazingly strong culture. And, you know, when I get on JetBlue, I know I'm on JetBlue versus other, other airlines. There's just something really special about it. And even at 19,000 people, I mean, they have to, as you grow, as you scale, you have to work even harder to maintain that culture. And one of the the points that I wanted to, to make sure to raise here is that to ultimately to, 
to bring it home. First, you got to get people who believe it. But then at the end of the day, many of us, um, and this, I'm sure we'll get into this when we talk about money, but you know, we act and behave in ways that we're incentivized to behave. So JetBlue over the last year or two came up with something called the culture goal and their executives, their top 130 people are evaluated on upholding the culture. So they need to go to, you know, July 4th, there's a big event at JFK because a lot of their employees need to work on July 4th. I mean, they need to show up and it is now tied into their compensation. When I was at Yahoo uh, not too long ago, um, Marissa Mayer decided not to take, our CEO decided not to take very much time off for her maternity leave for her first child. And I think similarly for her twins, she didn't take much time off. All the while, Yahoo is parading in the media (laughs) that it's giving its employees and now its dads extended paid time off for family leave. And so have to ask you the question, what's your take on that when the CEO, speaking of taking the rules and the and the you know the commitments of the company the values of the company from the walls to the hallways to the halls what does it say when your ceo isn't taking you know the a lot the i guess taking full advantage of the company's own maternity policy maternity I, leave well, I, I i i mean to each his own but as a leader i fully disagree with that decision and you know, she can do what she wants, but I also think, I mean, it was all over the press. And how does any woman in that organization decide that she or, you know, paternity leave to take it if the senior people aren't, aren't taking it? And look, look what happened to them, <laughs> the company, right. you know? So I think yeah. the, that that's the result. I mean, they, they, you know, it's, and also what the, the issue of the remote worker, right? Everybody went remote without figuring out those opportunities to, to connect. There was not a real sense of corporate culture and the senior team's not walking the walk. So it would not be at all what I would recommend to any of my clients. Hmm. Well, you brought up money. Let's transition to money and ask some so money questions. Are you ready for it? I am ready. All right. What is your financial philosophy, Erica? I mean, do you have a money mantra? Um, a couple of things. The first, you know, it was funny when I read this question, I thought my financial mantra is almost a life mantra. And one of my favorite quotes was actually something that my husband brought to the marriage when we met. Now it's really become something we think about as a family is the Louis Pasteur quote, chance favors the prepared mind. And to me, it really guides my view of business, money, and and again, like I said, life. And you know, when when we, um, I have twin girls who are thirteen and an eleven year old son. And when we had the girls, we decided to give one of them the middle name Chance. So it really is something that that we take to heart. And I put a lot of thought and preparation to the extent that I can um, into everything that I do. You know, when making financial decisions, and by not leaving things to chance, you have a much stronger probability that that things will go well. Say it again. Chance favors the prepared mind. Chance favors the prepared mind. So you're not going to leave it to chance. The work that you put in, you know, whether it's the work to look into a company that you're thinking of investing in, the work looking into a client that you might work with to see if your values are aligned, all of those different things, um, the more prepared you are, the, the chances are good things will happen. It's like when someone says you create your own luck. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Much cooler way of saying that though. That was Louis Pasteur. 
Louis Pasteur. I love it. I'm tweeting that right now because that's I'm gonna that's my 2017 mantra. It's put oh. into words like it's it's put it's articulated everything that I feel has been true in my life. You know, everyone says women. I think especially are quick to say, "Well, I was just lucky." You know, I have been have been really lucky, and that's true. Fortune has a lot to do with success, but I think that 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 fortune you it gravitates towards you you are also able to identify opportunities that might seem like lucky lucky chances but hey you were the one who actually sought them out and followed through and even be, in, initially just even recognize that as an opportunity a hundred percent and we really try to instill that in our in our kids at a at a very young age that you know if you put the work in you will get you know, good things will happen. You will get a return on that investment, but nobody can do that for you. So bring this to life for us a little bit. In your financial life, how has this proven true? I would say for me, it's, um, you know, it's, it's even, you know, when I think about the business that, that I have built now on, on making connections, I mean, I have always been from, from day one, you know, if, if you were to talk to people that have known me for, for 20 years, you know, what is the one word that you would use to describe Erica? It would be connector. And so I enjoy connecting people. I do it in my sleep. You know, it's just something that, that I do and really invest, invest time in, in doing that. And I would say over the years by, you know, really reaching out and looking into you know, backgrounds of people and clients and, and taking, I would say it's taking the time to go that extra mile and do that preparation to learn about them. Um, when you're finally in meetings, you know, in my consulting days, when I was an executive recruiter, the, the time put in to prepare made me that much smarter and other business opportunities would come out of those conversations. You know, did I always have time to do it? No, but I felt that by making the time, um, it would be worth it on the other end. And I guess a real example I can give is I, I worked at Russell Reynolds doing executive recruiting for a long time. And when you're at a firm like you know one of the big global rec rec uh, recruiting firms, people always want to meet with you. Everybody wants to have coffee, you know, and you can't do it all day because you'd never actually get your work done for the CEO who's hired you to, you know, find somebody for a specific position. But I decided that to to, you know, make my business grow more quickly and to make it more interesting, given that I was doing it 10 hours a day, you know, I took a number of those meetings and had those coffees, even though I knew that that person wasn't the right fit for that job. I did some preparation, see what they were interested in. And I will say, I would then, I was building my database for, and two things happened. Number one, I had a lot more people that I knew when I did get a job that might fit for them, but they saw how well I treated them. And when they did get a new job, they called me to do their searches for them. So I just think taking that extra step ended up making great financial sense. I mean, there's always going to be times when it doesn't, but by and large, I think it does more than it doesn't. Be a giver, not a taker. I've heard that from so many successful entrepreneurs and to give it with nothing, with expecting nothing in return. Exactly. Because, because to your point earlier about the, it, you know, when, when things are not authentic, you, people know when it's not authentic, just go because you're curious, because you might be able to connect someone because you might want to help and not worry about that instant return. I love how we haven't actually talked about 
dollars <laughs> and it's bank accounts so yet. But, but you're related. Yeah, 100%. I it's think everything you're saying is, is wealth building. Take us down memory lane, Erica. Tell us about growing up and a memory that you had about money that taught you a significant amount. Well, I don't know how personal people get on, on your show. Oh, very. But, okay. So I we encourage you know, it. All right. Well, here we go. So um, I was, so when I was 10 and my younger sister was eight, my parents got divorced and, you know, it's really hard when, when there's many families, when parents get divorced, money is a big issue and a, a huge source of stress. So unfortunately, many of my memories as a kid was worrying about not having enough money, my parents fighting over money, you know, who was going to pay, I was a gymnast, who was going to pay, what percentage, you know, for my gymnastic lessons. And, you know, I think as a young kid, I was pulled into, unfortunately, many of these conversations that were sort of well beyond my years. Um, My mom had a very tough time with it. And again, it's not as if we were at risk of not putting food on the table. But I think when you're going through something like this, um, you know, it's your decisions and things that you do are not necessarily rational. So she started weirdly, even though we were challenged with money, shopping all the time, shopping, returning things, shopping, returning things. And, you know, just really some odd behavior. And she even at one point, you know, got stopped at a store for shoplifting. And so that really was a turning point for me. I, I, you know, it was very tough as a preteen to be going through this and have it in the paper and have people know. And I made a decision at that time that I wasn't, I was always going to be in a position that I could support myself, you know, if I needed to, um, you know, if that, if that had ever happened to me. So, you know, I ended up, you know, I went to college, I went, I decided to go to, I was almost going to go to law school. My dad was a lawyer and I decided not to, I ended up going to business school and, you know, I think that, um, it was a tough, tough, it was tough, but, but, you know, I think you can come out very strong on, on the other side. And the other impact I would say that it had on me now that I have kids is that my husband and I try to talk to our kids and teach them lessons about money, but I'm very conscious of keeping them out of, you know, sort of adult only conversations. Cause you know, you want to keep your kids young longer. Yeah, some things are maybe too early for them to really grasp, but I think that gradually it'll all make them more aware of, you know, the, the just the gravity and the seriousness of, you know, the financial world. And I think those are the memories that stick out. Like I remember being younger and my parents would talk about getting laid off and the layoffs at work. And that wasn't exactly um, fifth grade chatter, but it did make me understand why, for example, we didn't take that vacation. It gave me a lot of context. And so what was the conversation you had with your mom after that shoplifting episode? You know, it was, they're really, I mean, it, it, it was challenging, but I have to say I was so young and really just trying to survive myself. It, It almost really wasn't discussed. Like we just sort of, it happened and that was it. And Mm -hmm. We just moved on. I think I think it was just too painful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to talk really to talk about. Well, thanks for sharing that. I hope it yeah. felt good sharing it a little bit. I mean, yeah. I mean you just you just 
you never know, you know, what goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's interesting when I, when I talk about, talk to companies about, I have, I have something called, um, the human workplace index and it's helping companies create a more human workplace. It's giving them a guide, you know, giving them a, a, a guidebook because, most companies don't know how to do it. And the number one thing that I talk about with them is be real and be authentic, be real and, and, you know, use your voice. So, and part of that, it just reminded me that I, you know, when you, if you have a company, whether it's a product company or service company, it's like, let people know, you know, like the wizard of Oz, who's behind, who's behind the screen. And I think it's, um, it's a healthy approach to, to business and to life. Yes. Well, when was a so money moment for you when in business and or in life, you felt like, you know, all your hard efforts, your financial efforts paid off? I would say, you know, I have been, I would say it's, it's, it's happened. It's really happened. I've had a number of, um, you know, I loved working at Russell Reynolds and had some great successes there and, and in my consulting role. But I would say that the culmination of who I am as a person, as that connector, and the work I've done on the impact of technology on relationships has culminated in this spaghetti project. And I really feel like after all of that preparation and all of that work, I'm really at this this tipping point now where everything is is coming together, sort of right place, right time, and people are craving connection. And my hope is to bring this out to the masses. I'm working on a book and continuing to have these events. So to me, it's really in this moment right now where all of it is starting to pay off. I'm curious who your uh, average company executive is. Like, What's the prototype? Who are these companies and, and businesses that are that are interested in more connection and hiring you and working with you? Because I think that's that says a lot about where they're investing their money and what their priorities are. Yeah, I would say it's all over the place. I mean, I mentioned I've I've um, been over to JetBlue a couple times. I recently presented some of my work to um, the global head of strategy at Starbucks and talking about bringing your human to work there. I, um, you know, all, there's definitely some startups in the mix. I mean, I, in a in a perfect world, if you're starting a company, to use this index, these ten things as as a roadmap to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm building this from scratch. I have a white, you know, piece of paper. What can I, what can I do now? And not all of these things are, you know, are expensive. This is not necessarily a financial investment. It's really, it's, uh, it's a mindset. Um, you know, some, some programs cost more than others, but I would say these companies really do range. The second point I would make is let's say that there's somebody that's listening that, um, you know, in a perfect world, your CEO is going to buy in and do some of these things and it's going to trickle down. But let's say that that's not the case. And you're a mid-level manager and you have 15 people reporting to you. I believe that you can make a conscious decision to create a more human-centric workplace in your team, which will A, positively impact your own P&L, hopefully, you know, by increasing productivity, reducing, um, turnover and and making people happier. So what are some of the things I mean that a manager could do? Even just having conversations with people about, you know, what their goals are, how their job, and this is what millennials want, right? I mean, this is how their roles are connected, A, to the bigger strategy of the organization, but also potentially to a bigger purpose. Um, having conversations with your team about, 
How do you disconnect from work at the end of the day? I mean, how can we strategize where if you and I are on the same project team, maybe on Wednesdays, you fill in for me and I fill in for you so I can have one night where I'm not tethered to my phone. Um, So I think that there's a lot of different um, kinds of applications and small, medium, large companies, you know, some very, very big companies. One last one that I would say I'm not... um, working with them specifically, but, um, there's a lot that's been written about them. The company Lyft, you know, the Uber, uh, competitor, oh, yes. they are doing some unbelievable things in terms of storytelling to, you know, I mean, if you want, I can give you an example. They, um, when you, when I talk to companies about taking the values off the walls and into the halls, Lyft, the executive, the head of HR at Lyft told a story where, you know, their big thing when, when you drive in their car, you know, they, they urge people, passengers, if they want to sit in the front and the drivers are empowered to, to have conversations. And one of their values is uplift others. So they're, you know, they are empowered to uplift others. So the, the story was that it was on Valentine's Day and a driver was talking to a passenger, said, be my Valentine. And the passenger started crying. The driver pulled over and had like a real heart to heart conversation with this person. A couple of weeks later, the, a friend of this person reached out to the CEO of the company and said, you know, my friend was in real trouble. You know, she was even contemplating suicide. Your driver had such a big impact. So there's the values playing out because, because these drivers are empowered to turn them, like to pull over, turn the meter off or, you know, and, um, and have a conversation. But what was interesting, in, in addition, what was interesting was at their team meeting, they were telling these stories because not everybody works at a company like that as a driver. So if you're an accountant, if you're a director of, you know, if you're in finance at a company like this, how, you know, if you have to tell these kinds of stories so that people can feel the values and be connected to a larger purpose. What a great story. It kind of reminds me of, I believe it's the Ritz, Carlton or Four Seasons or both, because I think they're owned by the same company, gives all of their staff members the, as you were saying, they, they really empower them to help guests have the best experience. So I think they each get a budget of like a thousand dollars. I've heard this is this might be an urban legend or urban <laughs> myth, but I heard they get about a thousand dollars per customer. Per, cl- per guest to ensure that, you know, if they're not happy with their stay, something goes wrong, that they have a $1,000 budget to make them happy. For someone who's working on the front lines like that, it could be a game changer, not only for their own sense of purpose in the company, but also think about those customers. They're going to come back and back and back and back, and they're going to tell their friends and it, everyone wins. Everyone wins. And it is. It is those frontline people that when you get turnover in those jobs, uh, you know, or set a positive way, when you're able to attract and retain those people for long periods of time who have that, that institutional knowledge and really connect with the customers, it's invaluable. All right, let's talk failure. <laughs> I'm sure that you have a very positive take on failure as well. We kind of have to go through our failures, right? So when it comes to financial failure, Erica, what would you say something that you're not extreme, I mean, not that uh, proud of or that you regret? Yeah. So this was a tough, this was a tough one for me. I have to say, you know, it's, I agree. You, you pegged me correctly in that um, one. I do try to any type of failure. I try to say, all right, well, what did I learn? So I can minimize that the next time around. Um, 
But if I'm really being honest, I will say that my financial challenges have been when I have decided to either invest with or do business with friends. And given, you know, my, that I'm a relationship person, you know, I, I am, I err on the side of wanting to, to do that when, when the investment makes sense, hasn't always gone well. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, and friendships have certainly been impacted and I'm sure many listeners and people, you know, we've all been in, many of us anyway, have been in those sure. situations. So, you know, what, what I am doing better, I would say now is really trying to put better processes in place, more man- expectation management up front, or literally even saying, you know what, I don't do business with friends and just, just calling it like that and, and not even going into it. But it is very tricky for me because so much of how I've built my business is through those relationships. Hey, everything takes risk. And uh, I mean, what would you say was a really great risk that reaped a really big reward? You know, I would say that it's, you know, even before I did the, you know, I think sometimes you wait to have every dot, um, I dotted and T crossed, especially when I think about chance favors a prepared mind, right? So if you wait and you're too prepared, then you might miss out on huge opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I have um, um, uh, somebody in my business now who is a confidant and has really been helping to guide me and, and sometimes to just say, you know what, it may not be perfect, but you know, just have confidence that the rest of the stuff will, will work itself out. And when I, after I had that first spaghetti project and the, the feedback started, started rolling in and I knew I was onto something, I, you know, left to my own devices, maybe I would have waited another six months to do it. So I think it's that balance of, of really believing in yourself and, and taking that leap, realizing that, you know, you'll, you'll, if it, if it blows up, you know, what is the risk? And I think that that was, you know, doing that sort of risk analysis that, um, the, the risk to do it was, you know, the potential upside outweighed the potential downside. Sometimes you got to build the plane while you're flying it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I love that expression. I was going to say, I'll use that next time. (laughs) (laughs) All the great entrepreneurs say they, they do it. They've done it. It's just, you got to put yourself out there and, you know, understand that setbacks will be a part of the process, but better that you're, it's, it's like you take two steps forward, one step back and then, you know, but ultimately you, you net growth. A (laughs) hundred percent. All right. Let's talk about habits, Erica. What's something that you do with your money habitually that helps to keep it in good shape? Yeah, I would say, you know, sort of one is, is looking at it in terms of a diversity of investments, things that are liquid and investing in opportunities that may not be liquid, but knowing that you're taking a much longer term approach um, and, and, and having that perspective. I mean, part of the challenge is now, as you heard about my mother, um, you know, of managing her finances. Um, as well, which need to be very liquid. So really just thinking about, um, you know, how to structure it so that if and when you do need to have money to invest in your business or do certain things, it is, it is readily available. Mm -hmm. All right, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. We're almost done. How do you feel so far? Have you done it? Have you ever talked about money for so long? (laughs) 
out um, loud? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So here, finish the sentence. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is the first thing I would do is um, set you know set up. Um, you know, make sure that all of my, you know, my sister and our extended family members were set with all of their kids going to college so that they didn't have to, you know, it's, it's such huge amounts of money that I know that that's an area of stress for both my siblings as well as my husband's. And <laughs> I don't think it's going to reach a hundred million dollars, but Hey, <laughs> crazier things have happened in college. Who thought college today would be as much as it is? Um, well, right. But you didn't say I had to spend it all on that one thing. I'm no, saying no, 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 no. That would just be the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would just be make sure that my over. kids were set for college, that their kids were set. And because I do think for the average person, I mean, it's, it is a, and as a, there's people that saying, you know what, it's way too much. And I don't think I'm getting a return on that. And people are choosing not even to go because it's so expensive. Right. It's bankrupting, you know, a whole generation. And, uh, Oh, it'll be interesting to see what the new administration is going to do about it. If anything, yep. one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is I get my <laughs> hair blown out. Yes. Yeah. Listen, you're talking to a girl who just did it yesterday. Okay. okay good. Yes. I, I, I totally say, get it. I would give up pretty much anything, including food, before I give that up. <laughs> Especially now I'm pregnant. Like, who wants to blow dry? I don't want to blow dry my hair, and I can never get it salon perfect. And if yeah. I have an event, it's like it, the two shampoos plus the you know the champagne. Well, I get water now, but it's just nice. It's a nice little half an hour hour to myself. Yep. One thing that I splurge on big money that I have no regrets. It's my thing. I love it. Is Oh, I thought that was the blowout. Um, big money. Um, <laughs> I would say that um, when I'm going to, when I'm traveling, like with my family to a new, a place where we've never been, um, I want to find a really cool, hip, amazing place to stay. Because chances are we're not going to be back for a long time. Do you ever do Airbnb or you like to go to the hotels? Um, I have not done Airbnb. I do want to try it. I would say mostly we've done we've done hotels. I would try something like Airbnb because you might be able to get more for your dollar and a, just a really cool place. Sometimes these apartments and spaces are really um, they're so accommodating, and you might feel a little bit more connected to wherever you are. But well, yeah, right. I love room service too. So it's a you know. Yeah. No, but what's interesting, and I've been following, um, you know, air, air, a lot about Airbnb is that not only are, are people staying there, they're really putting resources into better connecting people with these local experiences, but they're also, you know, if you're, they're also connecting people staying at Airbnb with other people that are also oh, staying at Airbnb to really smart. try. I guess I thought of it more like if I'm traveling for business and I don't want to go out for dinner by myself, but um, they're really trying to. They're trying to create community, um, which I think is, they're at a very exciting point in time. And I'm, I'm really curious to see what will happen with that company. All right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is? Oh, one thing. Um, I was going to say it doesn't grow on trees, but I didn't really think that. I don't know. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're gonna, I think what you might want to say is just one thing. <laughs> there well, might have been well trust me, that was that was what was in my head. Yeah. Given some of the stories that I shared. Totally get it. We've got the context now. We we totally get why you pass on that question. When I donate, I like to give to blank because one of the, you know, it goes back to sharing lessons, you know, when you were talking about you, you know, when your parents said, you know, giving you context, you know, we, we might get laid off, we're not going to take this vacation. So one of the things that we try to do with our kids is that, you know, one year after a trip to Disney, where we felt like all we were doing was getting and eating and spending money, we decided to take them to Kenya on a service trip. And um, we got involved with an organization called Free the Children. And, and, and a, a big issue that's become part of our world and our giving is um, girls' education and having twin girls and, and having them see what happens to a community when a girl does not go to secondary school and does not get educated, the impact that that has on when they get married, um, you know, really was um, eye-opening for for our family. So we focus a lot on girls' education. And actually, my girls set up a foundation called the Hope and Chance Foundation. So it comes full circle back to chance. Um, my one daughter's middle name is Hope. And my other daughter, as I said earlier, her name is Chance. And it specifically focuses on projects related to educating girls. How awesome is that? And a service trip to Kenya. I want to do that. It was amazing. It was very experiential. I mean, they literally got to, you know, put heavy packs of water on their back and feel what it was like for these girls who have to take four trips back and forth to make sure that their family has enough water before they're even allowed to walk the three hours to go to school. Um, and it really changed, you know, our perspective, their perspective, and has made them very motivated to, um, you know, to give back. And for their bat mitzvah last year, instead of gifts, they, they said they just want donations to, to their foundation. And they ended up each supporting one girl to go to secondary school for four years. And they're in touch with them. And the hope is that we can go back someday or maybe for their graduation. Oh, my gosh. What a great gift you've given those girls. And, what, and they're paying it forward. Yes. Sounds like. They, they are paying so it good. forward. Sure. All right. Last but not least, I'm Erica Kaswin. I'm so money because... I'm so money because I take that money and invest it in people I care about. Erica, thank you so much for stopping by this new year and giving us a lot of motivation and things to think about as we kind of look for our place in the career world and for being so open with your financial diary. I really appreciate that. That's always a gift on the show when guests can be candid and honest. So thank you very much. You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about Erica, her website is ericakeswin.com. She's also on Twitter at Erica underscore Thanks a lot for tuning in everyone and hope your day is so money. Money.